Good morning and welcome to Inside Maine. This is Angus King and we're going to be talking today about energy, particularly energy in smaller communities like Maine's islands and all the way across the country to the isolated villages of Alaska. But in many ways, the strategies and and techniques that are being developed for helping uh, energy resources in these more isolated communities are going to come more and more into the mainstream on the mainland. And our first guest is Suzanne McDonald, who works with a wonderful organization up the coast, the Island Institute, and uh, she works on these energy issues and has been involved in uh, energy work with with the islands and also uh, with Alaska, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Suzanne, give me some background. Why why a, a, a special emphasis on energy at the Island Institute? Well, thanks for having me, uh, Senator, and good morning, everyone. I, I work at the Island Institute. We're a nonprofit organization based in Rockland where we work to sustain Maine's island and remote coastal communities and also exchange ideas and experiences to further the sustainability of communities here in Maine and elsewhere. Uh, one of the significant challenges that the Maine Islands face, as, uh, as along with a lot of the rest of the state, is uh, some pretty extraordinary energy challenges. Um, Maine Island communities pay some of the highest energy costs in the nation. That might mean with electricity that we've got folks on Monhegan and Matinicus paying up to 70 cents per kilowatt hour well, for well, their good. electricity. That's, that's uh, breathtaking. I mean, just yeah. to put it in perspective, the rest of us are paying, what, 10 or 12 cents uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. So several times more um, in those in, in those communities. Um, many of the islands also pay extraordinarily high costs to heat their homes. Uh, we all know that Maine has some of the oldest housing stock in the nation, some of the draftiest houses, but on the islands, folks are paying up to a dollar more per gallon of heating oil to heat those older, draftier homes. So uh, because uh, everything has to be barged in in, in some exactly. way. Exactly. And, and the electricity is generally from... Uh, diesel generators. Yeah, we have um, some of the islands are run exclusively off of diesel. Some have connections to the mainland, but they've had to pay and finance, had, had to finance their cables themselves. And so when you're running a 12-mile cable out to Vinyl Haven, that's uh, a pretty expensive endeavor that all of the islanders have to cover the costs for. So uh, in addition to those high costs, we have issues around aging infrastructure that sometimes can uh, create frequent outages. That's obviously a disruption to the communities and their local economies. And one of the biggest challenges um, is just because these communities are so small, ranging from about 50 people to 1,200 year-round, that folks are wearing a lot of different hats uh, to keep their communities running and, and really to keep the lights on. And so in terms of Literally to keep the lights on in this Yeah, case. literally, literally. So in order to embark upon a, a big infrastructure project um, like around energy generation, it's going to take a pretty heavy lift from a small community like the islands. So um, those are the, the challenges that folks face, but obviously in a way that's a real motivating factor. Um, these high costs are, are really not sustainable, and I think communities are increasingly aware of the fact that the burning of fossil fuels has impacts on local economies and the ecosystem as well. And so there, there has been a real motivation to find some practical solutions to these challenges. Well, what are, what are people talking about? What, 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 are, what are they looking at as, as options? Uh, energy efficiency is really the place where it makes a lot of sense to start. You know, the cheapest kilowatt hour or BTU is, is the one that you don't use. And so uh, we do a lot of work with island partners to help facilitate home weatherization, retrofits uh, with their lighting to use more efficient LEDs, and um, just trying to, to use less or use it more efficiently. 
Um, in some instances, renewable energy really is going to make a difference. When you're paying 70 cents a kilowatt hour, a wind turbine or solar panels is definitely going to drop the cost over what folks are paying with diesel. And so in those instances, we're supporting folks to get the data and information they need to make informed decisions and then try to align the, the financial resources to get these projects built. Well, as, as anybody who goes to Rockland or up the coast uh, uh, takes the ferry over to Vinyl Haven or North Haven, sees the windmills on, on Vinyl Haven. Uh, how does that project work now that it's been in place for, what, four or five years? Sure. Um, it's been a lot of learning, uh, not, and not everyone has been happy with the project, but I think at this point a lot of the issues have been dealt with. Um, I think for the most part they're performing really as, as well as they had been expected to, and at this point they are uh, you know, really saving the community money as a result. So it's a, it's, a, it's a heavy lift to pull something like that off in a small community, but I think seeing those turbines on the horizon, as so many of us on the coast do, whether uh, you know, you're on MDI or you're here in Rockland, I think they've, people have started to understand that those turbines are really a testament to the fact that these islands have these challenges, but that they can come together as a community to do something about them. So it's, it's I think, started a discussion around energy independence and sustainability for the whole coast. But the windmills have lowered the cost of electricity on, on those islands? Yes, and help to stabilize it as well. That's been one of the biggest issues that was facing those communities is in the way that they purchased power. They weren't able uh, to guarantee a stable rate. And so when there were shocks to the system like Hurricane Katrina, they saw huge spikes in their power bills. And now with the dependable generation from the wind turbines, they've um, really stabilized those costs, which in many ways has been important for, well, well, for homeowners and well, businesses. Well, let's, let's cast our mind to the other side of the country. I was in Alaska last weekend and with the uh, Lisa Mikowski, who's the chair of the Energy Committee, and Ernie Moniz and uh, several other members of the Energy Committee. We were focusing on small communities in Alaska that are like islands, Forty percent of the people of Alaska are not connected to the grid. Uh, there are just no wires. The distances are too great, and there are no roads. In fact, one of the villages we visited, the only way we could get there was to drive on the river. I'd never had that experience before, but we drove down wow. to the bank of the river out onto three feet of ice, and cars were going back and forth. It was like a highway. Uh, so that's how we got there. There's no road otherwise and no no, no grid, no connected wires. And they're paying uh, some of the highest electric costs in the country, 50, 60 cents a kilowatt hour based on diesel. And they're looking at all kinds of uh, local energy sources, combinations of diesel and wind or or photovoltaics. Uh, solar is, is a big deal out there. Is that is that part of the future, you think? Definitely. Um, you know, we have these resources available to us here on the main coast. There's been a lot of attention nationally for the robust wind resource that we have. And in fact, right off of Monhegan, Dr. Habib Dagger and the University of Maine have come together with partners to try to harness that wind resource with offshore wind. And so we know we've got the wind resource. We also have a, a, pr a pretty significant solar resource, obviously, as well, that solar in some ways is an uh, even better match for these communities because we have so many people visiting the islands in the summertime that that's really when the communities are consuming the most amount of power, which is when solar is generation is so, at its So there, there's a match between the sun and the summer people. Exactly. <laughs> yep, you can line it up pretty well. Well, you know, a lot of people, when I've mentioned solar in Maine, they sort of scoff and say, are you kidding, Angus? This is Maine. But interestingly, if you look on the globe, Maine is at the same latitude, which is what determines how much sun you get, as the middle of Italy, as the Mediterranean. We're We're, we're not... East of England and Scandinavia, they're far to our north, and 
uh, we do have a strong uh, solar uh, resource. Sure. Sure. Yeah, we're just looking for some of the financial mechanisms to help it be as successful as it is in Europe, where the government has really provided quite a deal of incentive. Um, I think the expansion of the industry has also helped to drop the cost of installing solar precipitously over the last few years. And so uh, the main islands are definitely trying to benefit from installing solar that's uh, much less expensive than it was even five or six years ago. Well, I remember 25 years ago, solar was $70 a watt, and today <laughs> it's about $2.00. 30 cents. I mean, and it's exactly. fallen, I think I read it's fallen 50 or 60 percent in the last five years. So exactly. uh, when that happens, then suddenly it's uh, not only uh, something to be used in an isolated setting, but it, it, it can be competitive with any, any fuel source. Sure. And it's a big topic of conversation in Maine here, even, even, to, even today. On the islands, are people talking about community solar, where they put a whole bunch of a solar array in the center of town or people putting them on their roof? What's How's that working? Um, I would say it's both. It depends. Um, some of our island utilities are actually on-island local cooperatives, and some of the islands are actually served by Central Maine Power or Amera. I, I would say in those instances where they're served by a local co-op of which everyone is a member, the goal is really to create a power source that's going to benefit everyone equitably and equally. So um, the thought of the utility, sort of the Fox Islands Electric Cooperative, going and installing wind, that means all members of the co-op will benefit equally from it, not just an individual who may have the resources to build a, a solar or wind project at, at their home. And so we're really pursuing community scale and community-owned solutions so that everybody can benefit equally from it. And are, you mentioned at the very beginning conservation, which is where we all always ought to start. As you said, the right. cheapest kilowatt hour is the one you don't use. Right. Uh, are there concentrated programs or efforts or educational programs? Is there financing available for people uh, to, to weatherize and winterize and, and move to more efficient uh, electricity uses? Yeah, Efficiency Maine, um, if you were to visit their website, you can see has a number of fantastic programs that I think have become very popular across the state and certainly on the islands that can help bring down the cost of tightening up your home. Uh, they're also buying down the cost of LED bulbs. So if you go to a retail um, location like Home Depot or Lowe's, you're paying less than you would have otherwise because of the Efficiency Maine contribution. And, and LED so, bulbs are amazingly efficient. I used to be in the energy conservation business and at that time, the the, the uh, really efficient uh, were high pressure sodium uh, and those those things. Now LEDs have, <laughs> have really passed them. They're they're amazing. They use virtually no power. Right, and I think the quality has is has improved quite a bit. There was some concerns about the coloring initially, but I think they've come quite a quite a way. And so, what we try to do is just make sure that those programs are as easy to access for islanders as they are for folks on the mainland. And so, sometimes that requires a little bit of logistical organization, where you know you get an efficiency contractor to come out and serve eight or ten homes over the course of a week, um, so that it's more worthwhile and cost effective to go to that community, as opposed to serving one homeowner at a time. So this whole idea of going on it together is, I think, part of the island ethos and something that has served the efficiency programs um, that we run here at the Island Institute very well. Instead of a barn raising, it's a solar array raising. Yeah, exactly. Yep. We're talking to Suzanne McDonald from the Island Institute. Let me, let's move away from energy just for a minute. How are the islands doing, Suzanne? How are, are, are they holding their own in population? Uh, what 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 are, what are the broader issues that the Island Institute is working on and thinking about? Sure. 
Um, I think there are definitely some bright points. We we do have our challenges like most of the rest of Maine does, but there are some really bright points now. Um, there's a lot of creativity, I think, occurring within the economic development sphere of our work in terms of island businesses getting going and really um, becoming profitable and successful. We have great examples like the Monhegan Brewing Company out on Monhegan, Black Dinah Chocolates on Isla Ho that are really becoming regionally and nationally recognized for their products. So I would say that island ingenuity is really driving um, some successful businesses. Um, we're looking at infrastructure issues seriously, um, when it, whether it's energy or broadband connection. Um, obviously, it's an issue Maine struggles with, but on the islands is certainly a challenge in terms of um, access to high-speed Internet, and that's something that islands are coming together to develop um, multi-island strategies to try to increase service on broadband. Um, technology is driving a lot of innovation, particularly in our small island schools where the islands are getting together through the Teaching and Learning Collaborative to have students collaborate using video conferencing technology so that they have a book group uh, of peers from other islands, whereas uh, it may have just been their brother previously. Well, I, yeah, I've seen some of the work that you're doing with the, the interconnection of the schools via uh, technology via a video is really quite amazing, and that you can you can have a, a real school with a real curriculum with only four or five kids if you can join together with other students around along the coast. Exactly, exactly. So that's that's been great to see, and I think successful in bringing families to islands, realizing the great opportunities their kids can have. So I think there are a lot of bright points. Um, development around aquaculture is something that we're seeing across the state and something where there's an increasing interest on the islands as a supplemental income to, to fishing and um, you know, just continuing to invest in our, our local island leaders um, and uh, community organizations, keeping these communities vibrant and strong and thriving is, is really our goal, and I think we're seeing some great progress on that front. Well, Suzanne, thank you very much, and thanks for the work that, that you and all of your colleagues at the Island Institute are doing. Welcome back to Inside Maine. This is Angus King, and today we're talking about energy in Maine and across the country, and uh, particularly want to talk about an energy resource that we have available in Maine. I'm not going to tell you that we've discovered oil under uh, Mount uh, Katahdin or uh, any other, that, that kind of thing, but we have a tremendous biomass resource in Maine. And with us is Bob Cleves, who's the head of the Biomass Power Association nationally. He's from Maine and has worked in this area for a good deal of time. Bob, tell me about the biomass resource and how it can be part of the future energy solution. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on your show, Angus. I really appreciate it. Uh, it, it you know, biomass has been around for a long time, and uh, you'll you'll remember uh, because you were part of this many years ago, back in the 1970s, as a result of the Arab oil embargo. Congress said we got to do something to promote energy independence, and so, like many states across the country, Maine developed a pretty um, aggressive. Uh, program to implement that federal law, and uh, pretty much overnight, uh, Maine, Maine became the fourth largest, uh, or the, the the fourth largest number of power plants uh, being fueled by biomass in the United States. And when and, we say biomass, uh, we're we're talking wood and wood waste and chips and bark and 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 what what comes out of the forest, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of an odd word, and it's and it's and it's pretty pretty. Um, it, it's misunderstood by many because we're really talking about the low value material 
the tops and limbs of trees, the bark, the residue. Uh, essentially, if you look at a tree, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm a third generation Maine forest products family. My my grandfather, uh, uh, as a result of the war effort, operated a, a planing mill in Madawaska, and my dad ran Stillwater Lumber Company. And so, you know, wood wood is uh, wood is, a, is is close to home for for many generations for me. And basically, if you look at a tree, um, and people in Maine understand this, there there's the bottom part of the tree, which is the high value for saw timber. And then there's the, the thinner part of the tree that is for paper, uh, and we can get into kind of the challenges with that industry. You know it well. And then there are the there is the the leftovers, the waste materials, and you, you got to do something with these materials. And so uh, you know these plants that were built in the beginning of the 1980s: Stratton, Livermore, Fort Fairfield, Ashland, Jonesboro, West Enfield, Greenville, Sherman Station. You know Greenville, of course, you know well. Um, these plants were built to really do a couple things. One is to provide an outlet for that waste material. Uh, we don't like to call it waste because it's a renewable resource and, and it should be used. It shouldn't be wasted. It shouldn't be, you know, landfilled. Out, out in California, they used to openly burn this material until, until the air emission rules um, made that um, um, prohibitive. But, you know, we, 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 it's, it's, it's a, it, it solves two things. It solves a waste problem and it, can, and it, and it creates uh, a source of energy that, you know, the state of Maine and other states around the country have relied upon for, you know, going on four decades now. And it, and it creates jobs. If, if, if you're burning jobs. locally grown biomass, whether it's pellets or chips or wood waste, you're, uh, you're, you're keeping the money in Maine as opposed to fossil fuels where 80 or 90 percent of the money leaves the state. Yeah, that's that's the way we look at it. I mean, it's a it's a delicate balance because um, you, you know, as you know, um, you know, low natural gas is 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 important for for Maine and for ratepayers. So you want to take advantage of that. At the same time, you want to have an energy policy that is um, uh, multifaceted, broad based, and enhances the local economy. And what what uh, what this industry means for Maine is significant. And I'll give you. Um, an example: Just these six plants that are that are still operating right now um, generate over 120 million dollars a year in economic benefit for the state. They employ um, both directly and indirectly 11, 1,200 jobs. That's like a that's a that's a Verso Bucks board. That's a J. That's a you if know. If it were a, in one place, a, it would be a big it would be a big employer. Yeah, sure. And and you know what we. You know, these plants aren't really that well-known, even by a lot of Maine people. Um, but if you go up to Stratton, Maine, you know, so, you know, after your day of skiing at Sugarloaf, uh, <laughs> you know, your listeners should head up the, head up the road uh, uh, 15 miles, and, they'll, and they'll, they can see that power plant in Stratton. That's, that, that power plant is kind of the poster child for the benefits of our industry. Well, the me, largest me, employer, well, you know, well, go ahead. Well, let me ask, I mean, because there, there's, there's criticism. Some people say, oh, no, biomass is fossil fuel and we shouldn't be burning it and it's contributing right. to CO2. Uh, what's right. the answer? Well, I saw, I saw a letter uh, uh, yesterday um, essentially saying that we shouldn't, we shouldn't use biomass for energy uh, be, uh, we shouldn't st- instead leave the forests uh, alone so that they can be used for recreation and that they're important um, for fighting climate change. Actually, the opposite is true. Uh, if you leave the forests alone, um, uh, the, the science is very clear that 
one of two things is going to happen. Those forests are not going to be maintained as forests because the, the owners of those forests are not going to get enough return on their, on their investment. So they're going to convert those forests into non-forest use. And, and you know, uh, the, subdivisions, the only worse, uh, other kinds of uses. Yeah, I mean, a Walmart, right? Uh, I love I love going to Walmart, but but you, you know you know you when you when you cause uh, land conversion, that's when you really become concerned about 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 climate impacts. And then the other thing is that that by clearing out this low value material, you are enhancing the ability of those forests to do what we know forests can do, which is to absorb carbon and to actually fight climate change. So we think. Actually, the reverse is true. The more you use biomass, the healthier the forests are. The more economically viable the forests are, the better that they the better they do to combat well, climate. Change. Well, you would agree that if we cut over Maine's forests and used it all for energy and shipped it overseas or whatever, that that would not be good. But my understanding is what you're right. talking about is waste material from sustainable forestry. Yeah, and we and we are our. our uh, our power plants in Maine right now are all uh, what's called SFI certified, so they're all sustainably certified. Um, and you know, sustainability is an important thing. I mean, the public 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 relies upon it; they expect it. Um, if if we're going to hold ourselves out as being renewable and getting the the public policy support we need, we need to make that sustainability case. Um, and and we think we do, and we can. Well, down here, as you know, I've been a very strong advocate on the issue of climate change, but the the issue is not carbon that's already in the atmosphere, whether in trees or that. it's it's carbon that's been in the ground for three or four million years that we're suddenly releasing. Coal, right. oil, exactly. gas, that's the that's what's increased the the uh, that's what's creating this CO2 crisis that's creating the the uh, the the climate change issue. Uh, and and if if using biomass, particularly waste that would otherwise be on a landfill, maybe at an open burning dump, all, when we we don't have those anymore, but in those kinds of uses, uh, we're not really con- contributing to the net increase of carbon in the atmosphere. Exactly. And and to your question about you know the conversion of natural forest to energy, um, one it's not economic. I mean uh, you know uh, the 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 Given the, the 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 current and projected price of energy, it's not even remotely conceivable that it, it would be you, you would you would want to use a um, the part of the tree that you that would be used for you know for saw timber to build a house. You would never put that in a boiler. It just it just it doesn't make economic sense. And that's you know that's a challenge for us in terms of educating the public about that. Um, and then uh, you know so. So it, it, it's not going to happen, and, and you know I appreciate the the support that we that we received through you and, and Senator Collins uh, recently with the Senate Energy Bill because it's a recognition uh, of Maine's success in doing it right. Um, you know I don't think anybody can claim that the that the residuals and the byproducts and the low value materials that go into our facilities here in Maine. Are causing a deforestation. It's just, it's just not happening. In fact, we're, I'm as a Mainer, and as I know you are, we're concerned that the forest products industry is, is not vibrant enough. Right, and and I think a lot of people don't realize there's there's a lot more wood growing in Maine today than there was when Thoreau climbed Mount Katahdin 150 years ago. 
because yeah, of the conversion of of land of farmland to to a forest. Um, one other area, though, uh, we're in a we're in a time right now of extraordinarily low fossil fuel prices that are uh, very tough to to uh, on other alternatives, whatever it is, solar, wind, or biomass. How's the industry deal with this with this problem, and what's you know what, what how should we look forward on this? Well, I think it's it's uh, I, I've been doing this 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 uh, advocacy work for uh, 15 years now in this in this industry, and I've and I've seen like others have, um, uh, and I know you you've seen this. You you know prices go up, prices go down. Um, it, it can be kind of a wild ride at times, and it, and we are we are in a valley right now, and and we've got to work through this challenge. I think uh, you know uh, the the both the governor and the main legislature are looking carefully at the at, at at what they can do. Uh, we uh, uh, interact with you and your colleagues on a regular basis in Washington to figure out what the federal policy should be. So I don't think that there's a silver bullet. And because, as you know, energy is so regionalized, uh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's dangerous to, for, for Congress, for example, to come up with a – and it's impossible for them to come up with kind of a one-size-fits-all approach. But I do think that if you look at the challenges of the biomass sector, they're really no different than – um, than other renewables, and in fact, no different than the natural gas and, and oil sector. It's a combination of, of the price of the energy, uh, the value of what we call the environmental attributes of that energy, um, and, and, and tax policy definitely plays a role. So let's take the, the, the value of the energy to start. Um, you know, depending upon whether you're in a regulated state or a deregulated state, here in Maine, we deregulated our, 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 our energy, um, our electricity many years ago. So the PUC plays an important role, and the, the PUC can value uh, biomass uh, and other baseload forms of power. And by that, I mean, you know, hydropower, hydro for example. They can say, um, you know, we, we, these plants pay a play an important role in terms of our, our communities, uh, provide economic value, provide jobs to Mainers. And so that needs to be kind of taken into the mix when we go out for a competitive bid, for example, on providing power supply for what, what we what here in Maine well, we call the standard offer. We're, so. we're running short of time, but the other issue, it seems yep. to me, is that you want a balance in your energy supply. You don't want to be wholly dependent on, on one Thing. I right. can remember 20 years ago, we had practically no natural gas in New England, and now we're up to 55 or 60 percent. Right now, that's great because natural gas is very low. If it, if it spikes up, which it could, uh, fossil yeah. fuels tend to do that, then we've got this dependence. I've always thought of, of uh, you want insurance policies. You want some uh, stability right. and, and diversity so that you're not – you know, it's cliche, but you don't want all your energy eggs in one basket. And, and I think that's a strong argument for maintaining an, an infrastructure that, that gives you your energy in a variety of ways. Yeah, it's a, it's, that's right. It's a hedge. And it's, it's, a hedge with, it's a hedge with benefits. A hedge with benefits. That sounds like a movie title. Uh, <laughs> Bob, uh, we're, we're out of time, but I really appreciate your joining us and, and for the work that you're doing. Uh, and this is certainly part of... Uh, you know, we uh, my one of the way I look at these things is you've got to take analysis of what your assets are, and uh, certainly one of our assets is is fiber and uh, a lot of uh, biomass, and we have to use it uh, in a sustainable and and smart way. Uh, but uh, it is something that we have in Maine, uh, 
and that uh, I appreciate that your efforts to uh, work on it and maintain its uh, both its uh, economic competitiveness and the sustainability of the resource. So uh, thanks very much to Bob Cleaves. Thank, Thank you. you for joining us uh, this morning on Inside Maine. Angus King, have a great day.